Welcome to Talking Tax, a Bloomberg Tax podcast. In this series, we talk to attorneys, accountants, and other tax professionals about the latest developments in the world of tax. I'm your host, Andrea Ben-Yosef, and we're excited that you're here with us today. I'm here today with Michael Hadley and Adam McMahon of Davis & Harmon. They recently wrote an article for the Compensation Planning Journal about the Family Savings Act, which could help increase retirement savings in several ways, including by offering vehicles such as universal savings accounts and pooled employer plans. Today we will discuss the key provisions in the Family Savings Act, how it was influenced by RISA, and its prospects for enactment after the midterm elections. So Michael and Adam, thank you for joining me here today. Thanks for having us. So Adam, let me ask you first, what is the Family Savings Act? Sure, so the Family Savings Act is really a series of tax law changes um, that was put together in a single bill and was passed the House um, earlier this year at the end of September. And uh, the intention of all of those provisions is really to promote the ability of Americans to save more money. Uh, Some of those provisions, many of the provisions are retirement related, but there's also some more general provisions that are really aimed at um, promoting savings for savings sake, is the way I think of it. Um, It was actually one of three bills that passed the House at the end of September, which was part of the House Republicans push for tax reform 2.0 over the summer. And that included uh, not only the Family Savings Act, but also a bill that Uh, included some tax incentives for small businesses and a a separate bill that was intended to make the individual tax cuts that were signed into law at the end of last year um, permanent. Uh, Without congressional action, those individual tax cuts are going to expire after 2025. So the the substantive provisions of the Family Savings Act, I think about them in terms of three buckets. The first bucket being the retirement savings provisions, which are intended to promote and enhance retirement savings in America. And those provisions largely draw on the provisions that were contained in a bill that's known as the Retirement Enhancement and Savings Act, or RESA, as you mentioned, uh, which has had bipartisan support over the last couple of years and has been um, reported favorably by the Senate Finance Committee. Um, the second bucket of provisions that I, uh, that I think is important in the Family Savings Act are a series of changes and enhancements to 529 savings accounts, which are traditionally thought of as college savings vehicles college savings vehicles. But as a result of recent tax law changes, uh, they've now been expanded to permit distributions for elementary and secondary school expenses, including um, tuitions and fees for those kind of private schools. Um, The Family Savings Act includes a a series of provisions that would further expand what you can take distributions from a 529 account on a tax-free basis. Um, For example, there's a provision that would permit uh, you to take a tax-free distribution from a 529 to pay for homeschooling or a new provision that would allow you to to pay down student loan debt. Um, And then the final provision, I think, the final bucket of of changes is actually one provision, as you mentioned, uh, which would create a new savings vehicle called a universal savings account. And those accounts uh, permit after-tax contributions of up to $2,500 per year and work similar to a a Roth IRA, um, except that those investments could grow tax-free and be distributed tax-free regardless of when the distribution's taken and regardless of the purpose, unlike uh, 529 accounts for, for college savings or retirement accounts for retirement, 
the money could just be received tax-free regardless of its purpose. So how had this the Family Savings Act been impacted by RISA, and what is the status of these two bills? Right. So um, RISA, there hasn't been a whole lot of action since it was um, reported favorably reported favorably out of the Senate Finance Committee uh, at the end of 2016. It's been reintroduced in the House and Senate during this Congress, but other than that, there's not been specific action on that um, that's set of provisions exclusively. Um, however, the Family Savings Act is significantly influenced by RISA in that most of the Family Savings Act provisions are retirement provisions, and uh, of those retirement provisions, most of them are taken word for word from RISA, with maybe a few minor modifications here and there. Um, I think that these are the provisions that largely have um, bicameral, bicameral and bipartisan support. They're, they're largely non-controversial and thought of as provisions that are eventually going to become law. Maybe the question is more of a, a question of when they will become law, not necessarily if. Not, not necessarily all of them, but there's a, a number of these provisions that are largely non-controversial and, and are thought of as common sense improvements to the retirement system. These include uh, the uh, provision that would permit for open MEPs, right? A group of unrelated employers could join together under a single retirement plan and have that treated as a single retirement plan. These include also provisions that would permit um, more, a larger group of people to contribute to an IRA. It would also make changes that would permit um, employers with an existing traditional defined benefit pension plan to continue offering that plan to existing participants in the plan, even if it's closed to new hires or new participants. Those are the kind of changes in, in RISA that have been uh, rolled into the Family Savings Act. Um, there's also some provisions, though, I would say that from RISA that didn't make it in. For example, the, probably the most notable provision is uh, a change that would accelerate the minimum distribution requirements for uh, beneficiaries from retirement accounts. The uh, RISA included a provision that would speed up essentially the, the, the pace at which you need to take those amounts up. Excuse me, take the, can we stop? So yeah, one of the, one of the provisions that didn't make it into the Family Savings Act that was in RISA was a provision that would accelerate the distribution period that beneficiaries need to take out distributions after they've inherited an account from a former participant in a plan. And that provision did not make it into RISA. Um, one of the other things I think is important just to note the difference between RISA and the Family Savings Act is that RISA was intended to be a revenue neutral uh, proposal. Um, the Joint Committee on Taxation scored RISA with essentially a revenue neutral score. However, the Family Savings Act, because of some of the new provisions that were added by the House and some of the provisions that were taken out from RISA, um, actually now the Joint Committee on Taxation has scored it as actually reducing federal revenues by approximately $20 billion over the next 10 years. So that's something to consider as watching it go forward. Yes, I think uh, Congress is going to need to think about how much money or how, many, how much federal revenue they're willing to give up in order to make these changes. All right. Well, thank you. Now, Michael, why don't you tell me about some of the most important provisions that people are discussing for the Family Savings Act? Sure. Happy to. And, and thanks for having us. I, you know, the centerpiece of both RISA and the Family Savings Act is a, a provision that's intended to expand coverage. That is to say, get more people saving in retirement plans. Um, it's referred to generally as the open MEP provision. Although one of the things that it would do is completely change the name. So we don't call it that anymore. 
Open MEP means a multiple employer plan that's open in the sense that employers could join together in a single plan, uh, even though the employers don't have anything in common except for the fact that they have participate in that plan. Under current law, it's not possible for unre unrelated employers to join together in a, in a single plan for ERISA purposes um, unless they have some sort of commonality and they participate through some sort of trade organization or, or other uh, employer organization or participate together through a, a union um, plan. And the, the Family Savings Act and RESA both have a provision that would allow uh, employers to join together in, in what would be called a pooled employer plan or PEP, so another acronym we're going to have to learn. Um, th that's really the centerpiece of the proposal and it drove in a lot of way the policy. Most of the other things that, that are uh, in both the Family Savings Act or RESA or both, uh, at least related to retirement, are smaller changes, incremental changes uh, that can be moved on a bipartisan basis because they're not really that controversial. The, the bill also includes both the Savings Act and, and Family Savings Act and RESA include a couple provisions intended to address what we often call li the lifetime income issue. That is, as people are saving more in 401k and other defined contribution plans, um, it's that means that they're going to have to manage those assets in retirement. That is, take income over their remaining lifetime. And the, the uh, both bills include a couple changes aimed at that. One would make it easier for annuities and other lifetime income investments that are held in plans to be portable. Uh, and then there's another um, uh, provision that would uh, change the fiduciary rules for employers that offer annuities or other similar lifetime income investments, make it easier for a, a plan sponsor acting as a fiduciary to offer some sort of a lifetime income annuity or investment uh, and have fiduciary protection. There's one more lifetime income uh, provision worth mentioning. It's contained in RESA, but not in the Family Savings Act. And that is a provision that would require plans to provide at least once a year a lifetime income disclosure, a statement that says, based on the amount that you've saved, possibly in a, uh, including uh, amounts that might be contributed in the future, here's how much your account will generate in income in retirement. Uh, that is more controversial than you might think, um, because while it's a statement like that is provided for many uh, savers in their 401k plan, our listeners probably open up their account and see it from time to time, um, it's not uh, always calculated the same way, and um, and there's concerns about putting something on there that might end up in a lawsuit at some point. So um, so that's controversial. There, there are other many uh, smaller provisions, all of which are designed largely to be kind of incremental changes. As Adam mentioned, the House version also has some non-retirement provisions, including this new universal savings account um, that allows you to save up to $2,500, basically like a Roth. Um, a number of changes to the 529 plans, some of which are non-controversial, some of which are very controversial. Uh, and uh, essentially what is, is going to have to happen for this bill to become law is the Senate and the House and Republicans or Democrats are going to have to come together and say, what can we agree on? Um, the, the fact is, though, that the, num the number of provisions that are common to the the Senate package and the House package overwhelm the ones that are that exist only in one or the other. So there clearly is a path forward to some sort of passage. Well, let me just go back to one of the provisions you were talking about, the open MEPs, MEPs. There's been a lot of talk now about associated retirement plans. 
Are those the same thing or how do they differ? Right. So the the administration, the Trump administration has just put out a proposal for what's called association retirement plans. Very similar to a, a rule that they finalized uh, just a few months ago on association health plans. Same idea. Allows um, unrelated employers to join together into a uh, into a single plan for risk purposes. But the administration's proposal is much more limited in terms of what it would allow. Uh, it, it does not allow true open plans. Uh, it allows uh, associations like chambers of commerce and business leagues to offer a single plan that, that uh, small businesses could join together. But there are a lot of restrictions under the administration's proposal that would not exist under the legislation. And, and the reason for that is the Department of Labor feels constrained by existing law that they, they, they just don't feel like existing law allows um, any employee, any employer from any part of the country to join together uh, into a single plan. That is, they always view if you're completely unrelated, you're together in a plan in a single trust, that's essentially multiple plans for, for ERISA purposes. So I, I think the Capitol Hill and the folks that really understand the Family Savings Act and the RISA provision they understand that the administration, the administration's proposal did as much as they felt they could, and there still is need for legislation if you really, really want to reduce cost and make it easier for small businesses to join a plan. So if the Family Savings Act is passed with this provision, it would basically expand the association retirement plan's idea to make it more robust. That's right. It, it sort of, in a way, uh, overwhelms what the, what the administration's proposal is trying to do. It, it sort of expands it beyond what, um, what the, the, the Department of Labor's proposal would allow. And, and, uh, and the DOL would sort of have to go back and say, okay, what else do we need to do to implement the Family Savings Act rule? Do we stick with what we've already proposed? Um, the, the fact is that the, you really cannot go as far in terms of offering these, these multiple employer plans uh, without a change in the law. Okay, so now that we know what the Family Savings Act would do, and now that we've passed our midterm elections and the House is now a Democrat, what are the prospects of this passing? Have this made a difference in the prospects of it passing? You know, I, I don't think short term it, the election made a really made a significant difference in terms of possibility of passage this year. By that, basically, I mean in the, the lame duck session that um, Congress is commencing now. Um, lame duck session is often an opportunity to move pieces of legislation that are non-controversial or that actually have to be done and, and can't be done before the election. And Democratic control next year of the House probably didn't make a huge difference. And part of the reason for that is that the the likely incoming chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, Richie Neal, is actually a supporter of, of essentially all of these provisions. He's very comfortable with them. And so he doesn't need to be in a position where he'd say, let's not move it because I'll take over next year and, and put my stamp on it. I, I think the bigger hurdle really to get uh, some combination of the, the Family Savings Act or RISA uh, passed by both houses into the president's desk is just um, – there's a lot less time to get things done in a lame duck than you'd think. Members of Congress are like the rest of us. They like to have their Thanksgiving and they like to have their Christmas. Um, and many of them, let's be frank, were um, just lost their job. So all those people are supposed to be voting in the lame duck, but they also have to be cleaning out their offices and finding jobs for their staff. So um, I, I think there is a path forward for the House and Senate folks, and, and I, I understand they are actively talking 
about coming together with a package that you know they can agree upon, and then finding the floor time to, to get it passed. Of the pieces of the tax reform 2.0 that uh, that Adam mentioned, the only one that really has a chance to become law is the retirement slash savings provisions. The permanency of the 2017 tax cuts that, that cannot pass the Senate. Um, but the Family Savings Act, I think, again has. Uh, many bipartisan provisions, and there really is a desire, uh, certainly within the Senate, to provide this as one last piece of legislation for outgoing uh, Finance Committee Chairman Orrin Hatch, who's retiring this year. So we can hopefully look to see that happen before the end of the year. I, I would say, I'm going to be optimistic and say we've got a 50-50 chance. Um, if it passes tomorrow, then I'll call it 75. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I feel like, you know, of all the pieces of legislation, most pieces of legislation are less than 1% of the things that folks should be watching, particularly uh, folks that are that are interested in tax and retirement, this is really the key one. And there's a strong possibility it gets considered this year. If not this year, I think it's really the starting point for uh, retirement legislation in the next Congress. All right. Well, thank you very much, Michael and Adam, for joining me. And after, we'll see what happens in the next couple of months. And maybe you'll join me again to see what the final result is. Thanks for having us. We'd be happy to come back anytime. Thank you for joining us today on Talking Tax. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloomberg Tax and subscribe to our show on iTunes and SoundCloud. Tune in next time for more analysis on the newest tax issues. From the nation's capital, I'm Andrea Benyosef.